Well, good morning, everyone. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah. We're going to be looking at Nehemiah 6 into chapter 7, although we will read uh, just through verse 16 of chapter 6 as you turn there in your Bibles. I ran across an article this week as I was uh, perusing the Internet and it said that January 12th is the date that most New Year's resolutions end. (laughs) At least that is what a study of 31.5 million online participants revealed. People were able to gut it out for a little bit less than two weeks and then they give in. And so that means that by next Sunday, the majority of your commitments to change will be broken. Now, much of this failure is due to our unrealistic, our overly ambitious goals, right? We think that we can go from a couch potato to a triathlete overnight. You think that the debt that you built up over 10 years could be paid off in one month, or you think that you can go from sporadic and infrequent prayer to praying for an hour every day. However, when the struggle to follow through with our resolutions hits, we quickly yield to failure. We don't persevere. When the going gets tough, we just merely give up. I've seen this pattern play out in my own life a number of times. I make plans and dedications. I want to read more. I want to pray more. I want to memorize more scripture. I want to be a better husband or father or pastor or friend. And so I make a list, I organize a plan, and I dedicate to change. But somewhere along the way, I forget to do what I was planning to do. Or I resign myself to inaction. So then how do we persevere? When we are so unable to do this, how is it that we go forward? How do we keep running a race that has been set before us? This Sunday, we return to our study of Ezra and Nehemiah with our focus on the rebuilding of the kingdom of God. As you remember, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah record the return of the Jewish people from exile. By their disobedience, Israel had brought upon themselves the curse of losing their land to a foreign power. And for a generation they were expelled and the city of Jerusalem was destroyed, including the temple and the city walls. So far we have studied how the Lord led Ezra back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, to reestablish biblical worship. And we have read about how Nehemiah has been led to rebuild the walls to provide the security that God's people needed to exist as a distinct people within the land. And we have seen the Lord's faithfulness to reestablish His kingdom through the actions of His servants. In the eyes of the world, the kingdom of God had been destroyed, but by the power of God it was being reborn. In our passage for this morning we come to see that this rebuilding of the kingdom did not come without struggle. The surrounding nations were not interested in Jerusalem having a secure border. They wanted to maintain their power and influence over this city. And therefore, they continually harassed Nehemiah in his work. As we read our passage, we'll see that they seek to trick him, discredit him, even murder Nehemiah. 
as He works to rebuild the kingdom. Nevertheless, He perseveres in His work. For He knows that He has been called to a great work that is empowered by God Himself. And what we will see is that we too must persevere in kingdom work. The kingdom work that the Lord has given us. For while our New Year's resolutions and dedications towards self-improvement come and go, the real perseverance that we need is towards the building of the kingdom of God in our generation. You see, we must be a people who continue on in the kingdom work that we have been given. However, we must not seek to persevere according to our own power. For we have seen over and over and over again that we are people who too easily give up. The Spirit may be willing, but the flesh is truly weak. And so as we turn to the Word of God this morning, we will learn that to persevere in the work of the kingdom, we must anticipate opposition. We must recognize the nature of our work. And finally, we must rely on the power of God to accomplish His purposes through us. So hear now the word of the Lord, Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 16. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, and let us meet together at Hecaphirim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him saying, No such things as you say have been done. For you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deleah, son of Mehedabal, who was confined to his home, he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, Should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him. 
But he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose, he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, according to these things that they did. And also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Let us pray. Well, Father God, we come to you now and we recognize, Lord, the weakness of our own flesh and our willingness to give in to fear or give in to the temptations of the enemy. And so we pray, O Lord, that you would empower us, even in this moment, by your spirit to read and to hear, to learn and to apply your word by the power of your spirit. We pray it in Christ's holy name. Amen. I can imagine these enemies of Nehemiah hold up together, scheming how they are going to derail him from finishing this wall around Jerusalem. They had tried many different approaches, as we have seen in chapters past, and now the window of opportunity to put an end to this work is closing soon. As we read in our text, the actual wall and the breaches had been complete, they had been filled, and it was only awaiting the gates, the doors, to be installed for the work to be finished. So now was the time they had to act. And yet, why were these men so intent on stopping this work? Well, because a secure Jerusalem meant an independent And free Jerusalem. These men could no longer hold power and sway over the politics and economy of this town. And so they did not want to lose their power. However, their opposition ran deeper than mere earthly endeavors. For the battle that we see playing out in the word of God is between God's kingdom and the kingdom of this world. When Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem joined forces, it was not merely with each other, but they joined forces with the satanic powers that are ever present to oppose the work of God's growing kingdom. So how do they oppose this work? Well, first we see that they try to lure Nehemiah into a trap. We read that they sent him this letter four times requesting that they meet or that he meet with them in a hope that they could ambush him along the way. Second, when he does not give in to that temptation, they send a fifth letter, a threatening letter. We have heard rumors, right? We've heard this, that you are building this wall as a pretext for rebellion and to establish yourself as the new king. 
They try to discredit Nehemiah and place a wedge between him and the Persian emperor who was allowing this building project to go forward, right? Hey, we've heard this. And, you know, wouldn't it be a bad turn of events if the emperor found out that you are using his leniency and his resources and his finances just to build this wall so that you can rebel against his power and establish yourself as king? Third, they try to trick him through a false prophet. They deploy this false prophet who pretends to have a word from the Lord. And he says, people are coming to kill you. So let's run to the temple and and seek sanctuary within the temple. And if Nehemiah did this, one, it would make him look weak to those around that he was leading. But even more than that, he would be disobeying the word of the Lord that did not allow one like Nehemiah, who was not a priest, to enter into the sanctuary of the temple. You see, over and over and over again, the enemies of God's people We're seeking to trap Nehemiah and to derail the work that God had given to him. In verse 9 of our text, we see a summary of their intentions. We read Nehemiah's reflection, For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. Why are they doing all this? So that the work won't be done. And Christian, to persevere in the work of the kingdom, we must recognize that there are forces at play in this world that do not want the work of the kingdom to be done. They want us to give up. And they will do everything within their power to oppose the work of God. They'll threaten, they'll frighten, they'll seek to ruin reputation. In our generation, the call of the church is not to build a wall like it was in Nehemiah's, but rather to expand the kingdom. We have been commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ to be about the task of making disciples of all nations. In our book of order, the, the book that governs the, the, uh, the order of our Presbyterian denomination, we are instructed that the primary mission of the church is to extend the gospel both at home and abroad, leading others to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Nehemiah knew that his work in his generation was to build this wall so that the people of God could be secure and a distinct people. But in our generation, we have been given a commission by the Lord Jesus Christ to go into all nations proclaiming the gospel. Freeing men and women from the tyranny of the enemy that they might live in the freedom offered to them in Jesus Christ. That in hearing the gospel, they might repent of their sin and they might place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and be freed from Satan and from death itself. And if we would continue to persevere in this work, we must not be unaware of the opposition that we will encounter in it. Because if we are unwilling to face opposition, if we're unwilling to face that conflict, then we'll be unwilling to obey Christ's commission. 
If we're unwilling to deal with the struggle that it entails, then you will give up disciple-making very quickly. The Apostle Peter put it this way in his first epistle, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Several weeks back, the Whalens invited my family to come and watch a football game at their house. Shane's Mississippi State Bulldogs were playing my Georgia Bulldogs. And as anyone who follows football knows, Georgia is pretty good this year. And so they were beating the cookies out of Mississippi State. But I was not being a very good guest. I was complaining about every yard that Georgia's defense gave up or every drive did not end in a Georgia touchdown. And finally, Shane looked at me and said in so many words, you do know that Mississippi State is trying to win this game, right? We're not just going to roll over and let Georgia do whatever they want. But at some level, I just expected that they would surrender. I wanted my team to win effortlessly. And I was surprised that the other team was willing to fight back. And we often feel this way about the expansion of the gospel. Right? We have good intentions. We have a desire to see people's sin forgiven and to come into a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And ultimately, from the promise of the gospel, we know that every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. We know that people from every tongue, tribe, and nation will worship at His throne. We know that Jesus wins, and so we're surprised when His kingdom expansion is opposed. We're surprised when people reject us for our witness. We're caught unawares by the schemes of this world to oppose the spread of the gospel. It bewilders us that governments will outlaw Christianity, that they will jail pastors and execute believers. It surprises us that holding to Christian morality in our culture will damage our reputations and cause us to lose jobs or be sued for discrimination. These things surprise us. But this is nothing new, Christian. This is the fight. This is the battle. And if we're not prepared for the opposition, if we do not recognize that there is an opposing force, then the first time that we get smacked in the face, whether metaphorically or literally, we'll just give the work up. But if we would persevere in the work of the kingdom, then we must know that there is an enemy who is seeking to stop this work and be willing to face the opposition. Now, I think that one of the main reasons that I personally give up on a goal is the lack of immediate results, right? I start a running routine, and by the second week, it feels harder to run a mile than it did the first week. I'm sore and I'm discouraged and believe that all the effort just, you know, probably isn't worth the time. So I give up. And a similar dynamic is at play in the work of the kingdom. Namely, the call of building the kingdom often consists of working very hard at seemingly foolish 
weak or humbling tasks. As we read Nehemiah 6, we must remember where Nehemiah has come from. We remember from the beginning of our study of Nehemiah, he was living at the very center of the Persian Empire, serving the emperor as his cupbearer. He most likely had oversight over many of the governing officials. He was trusted with the very life of the emperor. In the eyes of the world, Nehemiah had it all. And now he's in the boondocks doing construction work. Jerusalem was at the very edge of the empire. It had been destroyed and it remained in ruins. We read in verse 4 of chapter 7, if you look down into chapter 7, it says, the city, speaking about Jerusalem, was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. You see, at some point in the past, Jerusalem was an important city. It was a wide city, it was a large city, but now it's just abandoned, with no new housing. And financial struggles. And I can imagine that Nehemiah had times of reflection in his ministry that brought him back to the opulent courts of Persia. Times when he wondered what he was doing, wasting his time and his talents in this one-horse town. But when the time of testing came, and the enemy sought to distract him from his work, in faith he declared in verse 3 of chapter 6, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And if we would persevere in the work of the kingdom, we must recognize that no matter how small or humble we believe that our work is, if it is done as unto the Lord, it is a great work. For the Lord has chosen to expand and grow His kingdom through weak and humble means. Not with a sword, but with His Word. Not with force, but with prayer. Not with an army, but through a church dedicated to worship and to evangelism. For the establishment of His kingdom and the height of the kingdom work in battle was done on the cross as the Lord Jesus Christ submitted Himself to the humility of death itself, knowing that the work of the kingdom goes forward through acts of humility and submission to God's call on your life. And this means that even when we feel weak and foolish, we cannot give up. For the kingdom goes forward, Christian, when you serve God in the smallest of ways. When you serve in the nursery and feel that all you did on Sunday was hold a child. When you serve in Sunday school and it seems that the students aren't learning anything from week to week. When you come to prayer on Sunday night and you feel like you're distracted and nothing powerful happened. When you help in an outreach event and No one new comes to church the next week. When you faithfully come to worship on Sunday morning, but you still feel like your worship just hits the ceiling of the church and does nothing to truly glorify God. When you receive communion and you don't feel like you're growing in any significant ways. When you share the gospel and it's ignored or it's rejected. 
We must continue to go forward knowing that even in these small and humble and weak attempts at expanding the kingdom, a great work is being done. For Christian, in these times, you must not give up. You must persevere. For it is through the small and humble acts of obedience and service to the Lord that His kingdom goes forward. In some ways, as a senior pastor of the church, I obviously have the most visible calling within the church. And maybe some people would say an important work. But I often wonder, what is it that I am doing week to week? Does it really matter? Is it of any worth? Our value, would my time and talents be better spent elsewhere? And then I remember the words of the Apostle Paul when he said, The world did not know God through wisdom, therefore it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than than men. There are so many other things that you could be doing than serving the kingdom. There are things that are faster and more flashy in their results. There are hobbies that you could pursue. There are sports that you could be honing your skills in. There is money to be invested and spent. There are pleasures to enjoy. There are all sorts of other things that you could be giving yourself to that the world would see as wise and as strong. And you might feel that what you're doing in the church and for the kingdom is weak and foolish. But if we would see the kingdom of God grow and flourish, then we must be willing in faith to say with Nehemiah, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. I cannot put it aside. For yes, it is foolish, but the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And yes, it is weak and humble, but the weakness and humility of the Lord Jesus Christ is stronger than men. Yes, it seems small. Yes, it seems unimportant. But when you pray, when you teach, when you serve, when you share the gospel, these are all great works of God. They are weak, but the weakness of God, again, is stronger than anything else that we can do in this world. So continue in the work of the Lord, for He has called you to this, this great work. You see, if we would persevere in the work of the kingdom, we must know That it's going to be opposed. We must know that it is a great work. And the final thing that we need to know is that kingdom work is an empowered work. That is to say that when we work for the kingdom, it is God who works in and through us. As the wall around Jerusalem is finally completed, we read in verses 15 and 16 the reaction of those surrounding Jerusalem. There in verse 15, it says, So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Now, as we read through this, we know that 
Nehemiah and the citizens of Jerusalem are the ones who built the wall. We know that it had been through the blood, sweat, and tears of real people cutting, moving, lifting, and fashioning stones. We know that the engineering and the planning and the financing of of this wall came about through Nehemiah's officials. And yes, of course, it was through human effort. But in the end, it was the empowering work of God that brought this kingdom work to completion. As Psalm 127 teaches us, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. So often we tend to oversimplify the way that God's work is completed in this world. We tend to think that it's either a work of man or it is a work of God. However, Scripture teaches us that God most often works and through means. That is to say, he uses ordinary ways of accomplishing his extraordinary plans. He uses regular men and women to accomplish his purposes. This is what we call compatibilism. God sovereignly ordains what man freely acts and does. The builder labors to build the wall, but in the end it is the Lord who accomplishes the work. These are compatible. The Apostle Paul says it this way. I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. You see, kingdom work takes effort. It is emotionally, financially, and often physically demanding. And nowhere are we instructed to just let go and let God. Rather, we are called like the people of Jerusalem to diligently work as unto the Lord, knowing that it is His grace that is working within us. We are to work harder than anyone else because we know that ultimately it is God Himself who is empowering us to do what He has called us to do. We know that nobody comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ unless it is the power of God moving to change their heart that they might be reborn. We cannot cause anybody to be reborn by our efforts. But we also realize that our neighbors, our family, our neighborhood around us are not going to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ unless we labor to share the gospel with them. And we cannot drive a wedge between our work and God's work. For God has called us to go forward in the work of the kingdom, not relying on ourselves, but trusting that as we go forward, He will empower us in this work. And a great work will be accomplished. And so when we are weak, when we want to give up, when we can't go any further, serve anymore, or give anymore, when we want to give up, when we want to just say, I'm done with it, we have to rest in the knowledge that it is God who is empowering this work and will bring it to completion. That the means to success do not lie within, but from without. And we trust that no matter how weak or humble or small the offering, we bring it because we know that God is working within us to will and to work for His own good pleasure. So January 12th is coming soon. 
And most of us will be done with our New Year's resolutions. But the kingdom of God continues on. And it's not dependent upon our resolve. It's not dependent upon our power to succeed or to perform or to persevere. What a relief. For the enemy tells us that we are weak. He tells us that someone better should be doing the work that we have been asked to do or called to do. He tells us, on the other hand, that we're too good for the work that we have been asked to do. He tells you whatever he can to get you to stop. But Christian, we must persevere. We must go forward in what the Lord Jesus has commissioned us to do. We must endure to the end because the work of the kingdom is a great work and it is a work that is empowered and accomplished by God Himself. So don't give up. But this year resolve to follow Christ as He goes forth and builds His kingdom. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Almighty God, we come to you now in this time and we thank you for the example, the life of Nehemiah and the way that you worked in and through him and the people, the citizens of Jerusalem. We thank you for the example of the Lord Jesus Christ, who though he met persecution and hardship and struggle continued and endured to the end. We thank You, Lord Jesus, that even more than an example of Your life, that You gave Your life, that we might be freed from the dominion, the kingdom of darkness, and transferred into Your great kingdom of light, and that You have given to us Your Spirit, that we might persevere in the work that we have been called to. O God, would You give to us the grace to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and to go forward in this great work, not relying upon ourselves, but knowing that it is You who work within us to accomplish Your good will and pleasure. O God, would You build the house that we would not labor in vain. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.